So we have been in a study of the book of Daniel, and uh, that was my intent to continue that study today, but that was not God's intent. At uh, about 5 a.m. this morning, uh, God changed the sermon for today. Um, my thought process that God had kind of laid on my heart was that in the book of Daniel, I see an extremely righteous man, somebody that is devout in his love for God and his passion and zeal for the things of God and how no matter what obstacles he faced, he still remains faithful to God. And that's, it's overwhelming when you look at Daniel and uh, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, we look at them, we say, man, those are some devout people. They're, they're lovers of God. And I mean, it doesn't matter if they're going to be thrown into a furnace or eaten by lions, man, they just stay true to God. And that's that's where they are, and, and it's amazing to see that, and we should see some of these heroes of the faith, and we should look at them and be in awe of them and look at them as a pattern for our lives and what we should do, but the reality is, is that uh, most of us have got some brokenness in our lives. Most of us have got some screw-ups that we've had in the past, and I think that we need to as Easter approaches, I just wanted to focus on the grace of God for just a little bit and the love of God for those of us that have messed up, for those of us that have done some stuff wrong. And um, I thought that we just needed to pause for a few weeks and just look at that. So uh, God impressed upon my heart the, the title of this, um, this series would be, Oh, How He... And on the count of three, I want you to fill in the blank. So what would you say if I say, oh, how he, one, two, three. So some of you said loved us. Some of you say love us, right? Both of those are in that David Crowder song, right? Oh, how he loved us. Oh, how he loves us. Do you know what the beautiful thing about that is? Both of those are true. He's the only one that can love us and loved us for all of eternity forever at the same time, right? That's amazing that he can do that at the same time for all of eternity, and that's how he is about us. His example of how he loved us is apparent on the cross, right? His, his zeal and passion for following the will of the Father because he allowed himself to, to die on that cross. for all. Oh, how he loved us in that example he set there. No greater love hath the man than he laid down his life for his friends. I mean, he showed us how much he loved us in that very moment, right? And we celebrate the resurrection from the cross on Easter. We celebrate that. And man, I love celebrating that. But every single day of my life, I go through life and I got some stuff that's messed up and I got some things I do wrong. I don't know about you, but I got some junk, all right? Yeah. And every single day I come to God and I say, I don't know, God. I don't know necessarily what the next 10 minutes or 10 years hold. I don't know, but all I know is it's in your hands. And, and what I look at and what I see when I put all this in your hands is that you just, you just love me. Yeah. You just love me, you know? Can I tell you something? Something very important that you need to hear today? I say, God loves you. Yeah. That God loves you. I, I, I know that, that sometimes we preach some hard truths sometimes, and it's difficult to look at ourselves in the reflection of Scripture and go, man, I don't know how he could love me, but he does. He just does. 
That's the picture of grace. It doesn't fit our definition of love, you know? It's that agape kind of, it's unconditional kind of, it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. He just loves. He just loves you. And I think that we've forgotten that so many times. That we look at somebody like Daniel and look at how righteous he is, man. And, and he's just loving God and doing everything right. And, and like, how can he love me? He just does. He just does. He wants you to trust him and believe in him. And he, I mean, if you do that, he says he gives, he's here to give you life and give it more abundantly. By peace, that's how he does that. Reassurance, forgiveness. You know, nothing compares. Nothing compares to when you lay your life down in front of Jesus and say, God, I'm broken and uh, I, uh, I messed up a lot. And I know that I've done a lot of things to hurt you. And uh, he wraps his arms around you with his Holy Spirit. And he says, you're forgiven. There's nothing. There's nothing better than that. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced that kind of peace that, you know, it really does surpass all understanding. That God just pours out his love on you. And you're like, I'm clean. I'm just clean. I didn't, I don't understand it, but I'm just clean and I know it, you know. And you experience that and it's like you can almost taste it in your mouth when God just says you're clean. And it's, you're clean. There's some people in here that don't know what I'm talking about. You've you never truly laid your life down in front of Jesus and just said, here, it belongs to you now, Father. It, it's yours. It's broken, it's messed up, and it's yours. And some of you have never done that, and you've never truly trusted in him or had faith in him to the point where you say, you know what? The only reason I have life is because of you. And you don't know that peace. You don't know that forgiveness. He, he, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you don't know that. I, I hope and I pray that, that God's Holy Spirit, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit, He would speak to you today and that you would know His peace and you would know His forgiveness and it would overwhelm your soul and, and you would have that life more abundantly that Jesus talks about. You would have that. That's, that's my hope and prayer today. We're going to look at a passage in John chapter 8 where, uh, and everybody probably knows this passage, but the woman that's caught in the middle of adultery, she's drug out into the streets. Everybody knows that passage, right? We're going to be talking about it today a little bit. And Do you remember when Jesus writes in the dirt? You remember that? Like everybody's got their hypothesis on what it is that Jesus wrote in the dirt and uh, every pastor that you listen to, everybody's got a different idea about what he wrote in the dirt because nobody really knows for sure, right? Well, I just want to bring another hypothesis to you today, another, maybe this is what he wrote in the dirt. I think if you look at Scripture and you look at the way things line up and you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament combined, you see some things here and you go, well, maybe that is a good indication of what, what Jesus was doing. You look at uh, the history of Israel and the way that they did things and, and the way that things were presented to the priest and the way they did things in the temple and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to kind of look at that for just a second and, and we'll have another idea maybe of what Jesus was writing in the dirt that day. And my hope and my prayer is that through this, you'll just see the forgiveness of God. 
you'll see how he was speaking to everybody when he rode in the dirt that day. That, that he was talking to every single one of us in the room. We have to look at it within context a little bit. We can't just take a little snippet. Because I, I, admittedly, I, I've done this before and I've presented my hypothesis, my idea of what maybe he was writing in the sand that day or the dirt that day. And I, I've given that to you. You know, that some will say that maybe what he was writing in there was the names of every single person around standing there that had said, you know what, this, this, this woman's been brought in the midst of adultery. And, and, and Jesus was saying, look, I know who every one of you are. Here are your names, and I'm writing them out in the dirt and showing his sovereign understanding of everything of the universe, his complete knowledge of everything that's going on. Even the people that are standing right there, he knows every one of their names. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe what it is is uh, this woman that's caught in the middle of adultery, maybe um, he's writing out the names of all the prostitutes that the Pharisees had visited in their time here on earth. And maybe he's writing out their sins literally name by name in the sand. And because of that, they went away ashamed and could not bear to throw that stone that day. There's a ton of ideas. Maybe Some people say, well, maybe what Jesus was doing is he was knelt down beside the woman and he was trying to comfort her and and maybe he was, he was just down there and maybe that's the reason he was kind of doodling in the sand is because he was just down there with the woman trying to console her. Maybe. I think that's probably a little less likely, but maybe. But if we look kind of at the Jewish tradition and what they did and how they handled the laws in that day, I, th- I think maybe we'll have another idea today. Well, we got to back up for a second. This is not just a study about what Jesus was writing in the dirt that day. It's not just a study about that. This, this is a message from God to you about His grace. And if you look in John chapter 7, we're just going to back up. It's not necessarily going to be on the screen. Some of it will, some of it won't. I, I told Brett to just kind of keep up with me today because I've, I mean, like he's done an amazing job. Thank you, Brett, for just moments notice. I texted him at I texted him at, at 6. I told him that God had impressed upon my heart what things we were supposed to be doing. And that was actually at 5, but I waited till 6 to text him. So he's grateful I gave him another hour of sleep. But putting things together like the video that you saw as an intro video and, and, and the background that you see up there, um, just I want to say thank you to my brother Brett, who's always there for me. And he says, you know, he texted me. He said, you know what, the Lord put this on your heart. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And to get everything that we need together. So uh, I'm just I'm thankful to you, Brett, for doing that. But if we look in John chapter 7, we kind of back up a little bit. I want you to see what Jesus says here in John chapter 7. And it, it, it's in verse 37. And he's just talking about the fact that he is the living water. He says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare... Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And and this is Jesus just talking about how he is the living water. Okay, now I think it's important as we look at this this passage in John chapter 8, we have to look at it in context. And what's going on here in John chapter 7 is you've got a lot of people in dissension. They're in a disagreement about, you know, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he a prophet? Or, or what exactly is he? And why does he speak with such authority? I mean, he actually, they, they send some people to go to try to arrest him. The temple guards are like going to arrest him. And then they don't come back with him. And it says in verse 45 of chapter seven, John chapter 7, it says, When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? 
Like I said, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. So the Pharisees accused them. said, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers of Pharisees who believes in him? Okay, so that, that's what matters, right? Whether or not the Pharisees believed in him. But this foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. So, so they're saying, man, look at what's going on here. They don't know God's law. Therefore, they can't make an accurate assessment of whether or not this guy really is God or not. They just don't know. These ignorant people, they just don't know the law. Therefore, they cannot assess whether this is really God or not. The Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy uh, in verse 50. Nicodemus is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you may know, he had a conversation with Jesus at nighttime. And in John chapter 3, he said something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He had that conversation with a dude named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. And here Nicodemus has got something to say when they say, this guy's a liar. We know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. This guy's a liar when he says that he is God. And Nicodemus speaks up. This is a big deal for Nicodemus to be speaking up here. He says, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? So Nicodemus is saying, hey, are we even doing this the right way? We're ready to cast judgment on this guy. We haven't even heard what he has to say. And Nicodemus is calling out all of his pharisaical brothers going, hey, man, look at us. We proclaim to know the word of God. We proclaim to know the law of Moses. And look at us. Look at what we're doing. We aren't even doing it the right way. And here we are saying that we know better than everybody else. So what do they do? They're going to make fun of him, right? Says, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Are you like one of those guys? One of those unschooled, hick-looking, overall wearing rednecks that doesn't know anything? Are you one of those too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And the meeting broke up, and everybody went home. So you have to understand that these chapters in God's Word, I mean, they're just an account, and, and they're broken up into chapters and stuff so that we can kind of follow pieces, and we can go back and say, all right, go look at this piece. But it's a continuous flow, and I want us to see that, man. This continuous flow, continuous idea that these people are in dissension about what, who Jesus is and what's going on here. He just said he's the living water, and they're like, no, you can't be. And then they're like, they're ready to persecute him. They're ready to cast judgment on him. And even Nicodemus is standing up saying, we're not even doing this the right way, guys. And so, well, look what happens. I say, okay, we'll catch the dude. We'll catch Jesus doing the wrong thing. And that's what they try to do in chapter 8. Jesus returned to Mount of Olives, but earlier the next morning, <clears throat> he was back again at the temple. The crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. Now, I want you to know something here. That uh, women in this day and time, they were treated a lot like property. They really were. They weren't really supposed to say anything. They really were kind of hidden in obscurity till they were about 12 years old. They were usually betrothed or, or, or set up to be married to somebody. 
well in advance, and they didn't really have a choice as to who that would be. It was really about, in, in this Jewish culture, this Jewish tradition, it was really about carrying on the family name. And women were really looked at as a commodity, that all they were supposed to do is have children, and that was their responsibility, and that's the way that they were kind of looked at, okay? And you say, is that right? Is it wrong? I'm just saying that's the way that it was. I, obviously, I don't think that it's right, but that's the way that things were in that day. And so women were really looked upon as like just an object. You talk about women being objectified here today, man. Women were really objectified back in Jesus' day. They really were just an object, just there to carry out a deed, just there to, to have the children so that the family line could continue. And that's the reason they were looked at that way. And this woman... She'd been caught in the act of adultery. We're not going to belittle the fact that she was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in an act of sin. I'm not going to try to justify it. I'm not going to try to say why she was. But I'm going to tell you this. I, I will say this. This woman had to be in a pretty desperate situation. Either she looked really down on herself or, or she was in a really difficult situation, maybe with the, the husband that she was with. I don't know what the situation was, but I can tell you this, that this woman was at a desperate place. She was putting her life on the line. I, I, I can't tell you what was going on in this woman's mind or heart. I can't tell you. I don't know. I wasn't there. And I'm not God, and I can't see into this woman's heart. But I can tell you what, this lady was willing to say, you know what? I'm putting my life on the line. She knew what would, be ha what would happen to her if she got caught in the act of adultery. She knew that she would die, and that was the end of it. She knew that the punishment was death. Everybody in Jewish culture knew that. So there's no way she escaped this. There's no way she was ignorant to the fact that if she was caught, she was going to die. She understood the gravity of what was going to happen to her. But it appears that for whatever reason, Whatever reason, she was found in this place of adultery, and they, they brought her in front of Jesus, and they want to use her. Once again, they want to objectify her and use her as a tool to get to Jesus. That's what they want to do. Chapter 8, verse 4 says this. It says, Teacher, they said to Jesus. So they called him Rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? It says in verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So how were they trying to trap Jesus? First of all, we'll pause there. They were trying to trap Jesus because they said, all right, he's got one of two options here. He can do one of two things. He can either say we're supposed to stone her or we're not supposed to stone her. If he says that we're supposed to, to stone her, then that means he's going against the Roman rule, because the Romans were in control of the people of Israel at this point in time, and they were the only ones that were able to carry out capital punishment. They were the only ones that were able to take somebody's life from them, is if the Romans said you could do it, then you could do it. So if he said, yeah, we should cast stones at her so that she dies, then he would be against the Roman rule, and they could go to the Romans and say, look what he just did. He condemned somebody to death. He, he, he's overthrowing your Roman rule. He, he's, he's going around your power and saying he has the power to say that she should die. See, look at him. Look what he did. They're trying to get him to condemn her. And then if he said, no, we should forgive her, that, that we should just let her go about her way, then they would say, see, he's not God. He's ignoring the law of God. The law of Moses says that we're supposed to stone her. and We're supposed to kill her as a result of, uh, of her sin. 
As a matter of fact, it's in the top ten, right? It's in the Ten Commandments that you're not supposed to commit adultery. And he can't just say, never mind to what she has done. So Jesus begins to do what only God can do, you know? He's just right in everything that he does. He's just right in his punishment. He's right in his forgiveness. He's right in both. He's right in his law. He's right all the way around. You see, there was the, the way it was to be handled in Israel, that the Jews, if they caught somebody in adultery, that they would bring them to the, to the temple gate of Nicanor, and the priest would be there. And you know what they would have to do? They would have to bring not only the person, the woman that was caught in adultery, but they would also have to bring the man too. Now I want you to notice in this particular passage, the man is not brought along with her. They did not say, here is a woman and here is a man who is caught in adultery. They say, here is a woman who is caught in adultery. Jesus knows that they're doing the wrong thing, doesn't he? Jesus knows that these Pharisees, these scribes, these you know, people that are supposed to know the law inside and out, he knows they're doing it the wrong way. They do too. They do too because you know what? Jesus, he points out the fact that they are doing something so very wrong. You know how he does that? Because what was supposed to be done, if somebody was caught in, in this sinful act, what was supposed to be done is they were supposed to be brought to the temple and, and the priest, what was supposed to happen is he was supposed to get down. It could be written anywhere, but it, most often because it was done in the temple, there would be dust on the floor of the temple. And what he would do is he would write out the law that this person had broken. He would write it out on the ground. He'd take his finger and write it out. Then he would write out the names of the people that had been caught in, in breaking the law. And if there were any witnesses associated with that, then he would write those out as well. Then he would write all this out in the dirt on the temple floor to acknowledge this, it, it, this is just like what would happen in our judicial system today, right? So you say somebody's been arrested because they committed murder. Well, you have to show exactly where in the law it says that they have committed this crime. You have to show the law that says that they have taken this person's life. And here is in the law where it says that you can't take another person's life. I mean, you have to show exactly the law that was broken. And that's what the priest would have to get down on the ground and start writing that out. And as soon as Jesus started to kneel down and write, they knew what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on. That Jesus was taking on the role of the priest right there. And he was saying, all right, you want to abide by the law? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and let's abide by the law. Let's start doing this the way that the law says we're supposed to do it. And he starts writing in the dirt. He starts writing in the dirt. And then what he said, what does he say? He goes on to say this. He says, He goes on, and, and I'll skip ahead for just a second, but I'm going to come back. He says, what is the one thing that he says? He says, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? And so he starts writing in the sand, and he says, all right, you're supposed to be found in this act of breaking the law. Where are the people that found you in the act of breaking the law? Where are they? Because I want to write their names down too. Where is the person or the man that was caught in this act of adultery too? I want to write this down. Where are the witnesses that were supposed to be there to say, we caught her in the act and here is our names? They continue to press Jesus. And they come up empty-handed. 
Either the, the witnesses that caught her there are not willing to stand up and say that I, I caught her in the act. Or they're not willing to give their names. But, but Jesus is pressing them and says, okay, this is what the law says. Let's do what the law says. Let's write it out here. And everybody gets quiet all of a sudden. Why do they get quiet? Because they haven't done what the law says that they were supposed to do either, right? So the Pharisees are these people that are middle class guys that spent their days, every single day, trying to adhere to the 643 laws of the Jewish faith. They were just trying to adhere to those. Plus these traditions that became traditions of man that were talked about in the New Testament. I mean, they just had all these things that they're trying to adhere to every single day. And what is Jesus, the only man who understands God's law inside and out? What is he doing? He's just pointing out the law, what the law says. This is how we're supposed to handle this situation. Are you doing it the right way, Pharisees? Are you dealing with this the right way? I kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He stood, stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Then the accusers heard this. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? So here's what's going on. He says, all right, Pharisees, you lawyers of the day, the ones that are supposed to know the law inside and out, all right, good. I'm glad that you have brought this to my attention, that this woman has broken the law. Look at the way that you have done it. Don't you remember what Nicodemus just said in chapter 7? He said, are we even supposed to be doing this this way? Because the law says that they're supposed to give a chance to rebuttal or say what they have done wrong. You say what they've done wrong. They're supposed to be able to say, this is what had happened and give their side of the story. But they didn't allow that to happen. Well, once again, Jesus is pointing out the same thing, that their adherence to the law is not truly adherence to the law. And he's pointing that out, that you guys have gotten it all wrong. That you, if, if I'm going to condemn somebody because they have gone against the law, then I have to condemn you because you have gone against the law as well. You have not done it the way the law says that we're supposed to do it. So Jesus is just pointing that out to them. But these lawmakers are now lawbreakers. And they were trying to trap Jesus, but indeed, what did he do? He trapped them. He trapped them. Now, I want you to know something about my Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't trap people in order to condemn them. He traps them in order to be able to show them their need for his grace. I need you to know that about my Jesus. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't point out your sin to condemn you. He, he actually says that you're condemned already. That's what it says in John three seventeen. He came to save the world because the world already was condemned. He came for the point of rescuing. So when he reveals your lawlessness in front of you, you know what he's doing? He's just trying to get you to come in repentance to him. That you have a chance. You've got a chance to repent. And say, so you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. But the thing that will stand between these people admitting they're wrong 
is their pride. Their pride will stand up and say, I'm not going to go against what I've said before. I'm not going to say that I was a liar, therefore say that Jesus is really the Messiah and say that, you know what, I'm worthy to be condemned as well. Their pride keeps them from saying that. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want you to know something about this God that I serve. He's fulfilling prophecy here. Did you know that that's what he's doing right here? In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, I'm going to read the NLT version to you first, okay? Because that's what we study in here. It's not saying that that's the right version. That just happens to be the version that we use. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who have turned away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. You go, oh, okay, I get it. No, what does that mean, Kenny? I don't get it. You know what it literally says in the Hebrew? It says that their names will be written in the dust. And they'll be blotted out. All of those who have rejected the living water. In John chapter 7, the beginning of 7, what did I say that Jesus had just said? He said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You know what Jesus is doing right here? He's fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling scripture. He's saying, you know what? You know who's going to be condemned in this? Because when he started to write down in the dust, they would have remembered what Jeremiah had to say. They, they had the law. They had the scriptures committed to memory such that, that they would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. Those who reject me, those who turn their backs on me, they'll have their names written in the dust and then blotted out because they have rejected the living water. These men, they knew what Jesus was doing. They were pointing out the fact that they were very knowledgeable about the law. And Jesus was pointing out, he says, I know the law better than you. You know why? Because I am the God that I claim to be. I am the living water that I claim to be. And Jesus caught this woman in the, they caught this woman in the middle of adultery and brought her to Jesus and Jesus has this opportunity. You know what? He could say, you know what? She deserves to die. She, she's, she's in this place where she's full of sin. And what does he do instead? He shows her grace. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. I believe this shows us the mind and the heart of God. Who knows every single thing about the law of God. Who knows every single thing about what the, what the, the Mosaic law says. He knows every single detail about that. And what does he do? He shows her grace. You know why? I think it's because he shows, he's, he's showing the world the potential that she had. That she still has the potential to repent. You know why I think that? You know why I think that he's showing the potential that she has to repent and to come to God? You know why I think that? Because that's what he was showing the Pharisees. That you have a chance 
that you have a chance to not reject the living water. You have a chance to come and repent and say, you know what? I have done wrong by, by claiming to know the law, but really not knowing the law. I've done wrong by claiming to know the details of the law without knowing the heart of the law. And Jesus says, I am the heart of the law. And if you turn your back on me, you're turning your back on God. And therefore, your names will be blotted out. He is giving them a chance to repent. That he loved the Pharisee just as much as he loved the woman caught in the middle of adultery. There's 643 laws that they're trying to follow day by day, washing their hands to the point where they would bleed because they were afraid of touching something unclean. Where they would reject people that had leprosy and say, you know what, get away from us. There's something wrong with your soul because you are unclean on the outside there. You are unclean on the inside. There is something wrong with you. He loved them just as much as he loved this woman. It was in a place of desperation and she had rejected the truth of God and been sold out for a lie and and now she was just in this place where she said I don't care if I live or die I don't care if I live or die Jesus saw the potential in her do you know that you could be a very legalistic person in this room today and one that, that looks at all the things that you've done wrong and maybe you look around at other people and it You really want to take time to point out all the things that they've done wrong too. And you find your satisfaction in in letting your pride well up and your satisfaction in looking down on other people because it makes you feel better about yourself. Can I tell you something today? God loves you. God loves you. You see, these guys, they were convicted in their heart. And they had, listen to me, listen to me. It said literally, and Jeremiah said, they they turned their back on me. They literally turned their back on Jesus. Do you know that those Pharisees had a chance? Instead of walking away from Jesus, they could have walked to Jesus. They could have walked right up to him and said, you're right, I'm wrong. You are God, and I understand that. They had that chance. But you know what they did instead? They walked away. Yeah, they didn't condemn the woman. They dropped their stones, but they didn't fully commit to Jesus either and come to him. They just walked away from him. Their pride had separated them from Jesus. And then there's this woman. She's, uh, she's messed up, y'all. She's done bad stuff. She's sinned against God. She's broken the heart of God. And God got down on the ground with her. He just says, you know what? There's potential in you. You're loved. You're not too far gone. You're not too messed up. You're loved. And I'm here to tell you that you're loved and that your accusers have gone away. And they wanted to condemn you, but I'm not even condemning you. Because there's still a chance for you. There's a chance for every single person to come to Jesus. There's a chance for you to lay down your pride and say, God, you are my everything. No matter what I've done or, or the things I've done to mess up, you, you still, you'll forgive me if I come, if I come in humility. This woman was at the end of herself. She was at the total end of herself. Not only had she been in such a desperate place that she did this stuff and, and sinned against God, but not only that, now she's been drug out in front of a, cl- a crowd, most likely half naked, and they're just down there looking down at her, literally looking down at this woman. You know what Jesus did? He got down there with her. 
He got down there. You know what he said? This is what Jesus said when he got down there with her. He said, if you're going to look down on her, you've got to look down on me. He's right down there with you. you got a chance. you got a chance. You can either come to Jesus or turn you back on the living water and walk away. It's your choice. Father, thank you. God, for the grace that you show us, the amazing grace that you pour out on us that we are so undeserving of. God, whether we're full of pride or full of sin, God, you pour out your grace on us. So, Lord, I pray right now that you have spoken to somebody's heart, that your Holy Spirit has convicted somebody, Lord, that they might know your peace and your grace. I pray that they would just come in humility, lay down in front of you and say, Lord, I just need you. I'm sinful, I'm broken, but the only place I can find cleanliness is in you. God, you loved us. Oh, how he loved us. You loved us in the place that we were in while we were yet sinners. Christ died. You died at that very moment when we were at the lowest low we could possibly be at. I don't understand it, Lord. I don't understand it, but I wish, God, I wish somebody might be a recipient of it today. They would come and lay down their lives to say, God, all that I have, the good, the bad, the ugly, I lay it down in front of you and say, it all belongs to you because I trust in you. You are my everything. God, I pray that you would speak to your people now. God, reassure them and comfort them. God, that you are the loving God that you are. In Jesus' name.